Hello and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything Farmmaker. Welcome to Fireside Filemaker. My name is John Mark Osborne. And I'm Michael Rashad. We're here today to talk about how to become a professional developer. It's one of the biggest questions I get from budding FileMaker developers. They ask me, how do you become a professional developer? How do you make an earning, a living off of this? And this includes technical knowledge and how to go out and get work. So the first thing I thought we should talk about is the FBA or the FileMaker Business Alliance. Now, if you're not familiar with it, it's the FileMaker Incorporated official FileMaker developer group. And it costs money, and we'll talk about that in a second, but there are some benefits. You can find information about it on the FileMaker website if you go to partner or go to the filemaker.com website, click on the partners pop-down menu and choose become a partner and there's a bunch of stuff there. So here's what the requirements are for being an FBA member. And I think this will lead off to our entire conversation here, because in order to become an FBA member, there's certain requirements, and they really lead you into what you a lot of the things you need to do to become a professional developer. So the first thing they list is they want customer references. So that means you have to have experience, right? They also want custom app samples. Now, if you're not familiar with the word app, they used FileMaker uh, Solutions, and I still call them Solutions, used to be called Solutions. And when I first started, they were just plain old files. But So they went from files to solutions. Now they're called apps. So you need to give samples or examples of your custom app work. They also recommend you become FileMaker certified. It's not a requirement, but it's it's a good thing. And that's just a test that they offer. You can take it any time. It costs a couple hundred dollars. I forget how much. And, you know, it's a multiple choice test. And you, if you pass it, then you're certified and you get to display a logo. They also want a list of your FileMaker products and services on your website. So you need a website. Okay, there's a lot of stuff you have to do before you become an FBA member. They have additional requirements that vary by region. So if you're in the United Kingdom or you're in Australia or United States, there may be a couple of different requirements. You also have to be in business for one year. You have to have a company name and a domain name that meet the FileMaker Incorporated guidelines. What those are is what they say they are. There's nothing written down. I just, they're, they're probably not going to refuse you unless there's some profanity or something or inside your company name or something like it. it's probably a safe bet. You'll be fine with that one. You also need $1 million general business liability. I have that. I've had that for a bunch of my clients required. So I have it. It's not very expensive. It's about 300 bucks a year, at least where I'm getting it. You need two professional references. That's different than customer references. That's professional references from people who are already in the business. And then finally, the price is $499 per year for the U.S. There's other you know, prices in different uh, regions in the world. So, so no, I'm an FBA member and I've been one for a long time. But I want to ask Michael, how has business been for you without an FBA membership? And why aren't you an FBA member? Well, it's it's a very good question, John, and the uh, the answer is simply that I've never really felt the need to become an FBA member in order to get business. I have been very fortunate and have been able to bring in enough business through my own efforts, and paying the extra five hundred dollars a year doesn't seem to uh, offer 
any benefits that I can see. It doesn't mean to say I won't change my mind because I may, but right now I just don't feel that it's necessary for me. But that's me personally. Sure. I think you were around developing FileMaker Solutions before there was an FBA. It was FBA, and then before that was FSA, FileMaker Solutions Alliance, and before that it was CSA. But you were you were around developing solutions before there was a CSA, I believe. Oh, yes. Quite a few years. So, you know, a lot of the things that, that are now here, like the FBA membership and the certification programs, they're all relatively new in the in the time scale of since I've been developing. And so because I'm generally so busy, I a lot of this stuff just goes past me because I don't have time to pay attention to it. And I think that's probably the easiest way to explain it. So the, the way I look at it is it's $500 a year. If you get one good job from somebody calling you from the listing on the FileMaker.com website, then to me, that's worth it. But let's... Let me talk to you or ask you about what kind of efforts have you done to elicit, you know, to get business? Well, most of my business comes from word of mouth, from people who I've worked with and they've referred me to somebody else. I do get periodically a fair amount of work through the freelance site Upwork that I'm on all the time. And I look for interesting filemaker jobs and I respond to them. Now, I also know that my hourly rates are way higher than everybody else on that site, and I make no apologies for that. And I tell people if they ask, I say, it's not what you pay for an hour, it's what gets done in an hour. And so I, I think I work extremely fast, much faster than most people. So I'm able to charge the hourly rate I do and still deliver really good value because I'm doing a lot in that hour. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that statement. Uh, a lot of people, the first thing they ask you as a developer is what's your hourly rate? And what I do confidently is I say, it really matters what the final project cost, what the price is that we put on it. Because I, I can tell you right now that somebody charging $50 an hour will possibly take much longer, make many more mistakes. And so all of a sudden, my hourly rate, because I'm doing it faster, let's say five times faster, and not making as many mistakes gives a better price and a better product at the end. Yes, it's always hard to convey that to a lot of people who, you know, are looking to get a solution and they don't realize what's involved in building a solution properly. So you have to educate the customer as to what they're getting for their money. And, you know, I've seen on the freelance site on Upwork, I've seen lots of people bidding ridiculously stupid money for jobs. And they are probably not experienced. They're probably not really qualified. Uh, they're just hoping to get somebody to bite so they can get $1,000 or sometimes even less and deliver something that's subpar and then they get fired. And, but they've got the money out and uh, they haven't done a lot for it. So it's, it's a very difficult situation for clients who are looking for developers to get over the fact that nothing good is cheap. And nothing cheap is good. I agree. And, but no matter what, sometimes you can't explain this to people and they'll never understand it. But I think uh, those are probably the clients you don't want because they're looking for the products made in China. They don't care how quickly they break. And so I think that uh, you, you will probably turn some people off by telling them that, but you don't want them as clients anyhow. 
You want the people who appreciate quality. John, that's exactly the nail on the head. I don't want to deal with people who are penny pinching because they're going to drive me nuts. Even if they agreed to pay my rates, they're likely to want to drive me nuts. And if I don't get a, a feeling that I can work with a client and enjoy working with a client, I just won't take the project on. Life's too short. I, I agree. I, I remember a story where I was uh, I was still living in an apartment in Mountain View, California, and somebody called me up on the phone and said, hey, I want you to do work for me. And they were pretty set about it, but they started asking me all these questions and, and telling me exactly how to do things. And okay, I get it. Yeah, you're, you're, you know, the customer's right. But this person right off the bat was so difficult to work with. I said, after about 10 minutes of talking to him, I said, I really don't want to do business with you. And they were flabbergasted. But that was the call I had to make at that point. And I'm glad I made it still to this day. Yeah, you have to trust your instincts because what we do is sometimes difficult and frustrating and when you deal when you add that or add to that a difficult client there isn't enough money in the world to make it worthwhile doing i mean in the early days when i had a client uh, like that i would just they'd ask me for my rate and i'd double or triple it because i really didn't want them to say yes you have heard about that. Sometimes people will do, uh, you know, spec out the whole project and put a really high price on it, double what they'd normally charge. And I know a guy who said what he couldn't believe that somebody accepted his price. So he said, okay, well, that's good. You know, I'm, I'm glad because I know you're going to be difficult to deal with and you're always going to get great you know, clients. Don't get us wrong. We're not trying to, to beat up any clients out there, but you know, if you have, you know, you know, you're going to be, if you've been in the business for a long time, you can recognize who's going to be difficult right from the beginning. And if he quotes a really high price and that client says yes, then that's going to pay for all the things that they're going to do. They're going to change things in the middle of the project. It'll just make it easy to do and, and make it worth your time at that point, probably. So, yeah, it always, it comes back to life's too short. And uh, so we have to pick and choose. I mean, obviously there are times when we might take on a project simply because we're in a lull. And if in normal times we wouldn't take on a project, but we need some cash flow. And so, you know, that's a consideration, especially when you're completely freelance like you and I are. So let's move the sub subject on to how to get the experience to be good enough to become a professional developer or even to become, get into the FBA. And probably the number one way that I, it's, it's kind of a strange thing because I, I've, I've written books, I write articles, I record videos, I, I do all this kind of stuff. I go on the forums, but I don't usually use these things to learn. I use, well, I do use the forums, but I use Google mostly, right? I, I go on there and, and another way I do as I learn is I, as I go in and, and, uh, and fiddle around with FileMaker and get the results. I've just been doing it for so long. But there's a lot of different ways to, to learn, and I listed a few things here. You know, again, Google, it's your friend, just put FileMaker and then whatever you want to find out about after it, and you'll usually hit something that'll tell you about it. There's many books out there, there's many videos, there's uh, three forums that I know of, three main forums, lots of blogs, lots of example files. But the thing I want to say before I pass it over to you, Michael, is that you have to watch out who you're learning from, and you have to watch out what you're learning because sometimes. You may find, a, let's say, an article that talks about some really complex notion that you really don't need for your solution. Even though it solves your problem that you're looking for, you need to know when 
to use something simpler. And so I think you have to worry about that, you know, getting something too complex, but also people, anybody can publish something on the internet and call themselves an expert. And you've got to watch out for that kind of stuff. Well, it's, it's absolutely true. You know, it's a, again, it's difficult. I, I use Google a lot to search for, if I'm looking for something specific, generally when I find what I'm looking for, I read it and then I go back to the drawing board with that in the back of my mind and I start working on it. But at the end of it, I doubt that I'll end up doing it the way that that person on that video or you know article has actually suggested because I'm looking always looking for a simpler way to do anything. And we're going to talk in a later podcast about KISS, which is keeping it simple stupid, which is the motto that you and I live by. And so you do have to be very careful. What I do find on YouTube, for example, which is a phenomenal resource, is that a lot of the people who have put FileMaker videos up there are either incredibly long-winded, they take 30 minutes to describe a concept that could literally be described in three minutes. And the other thing that drives me insane is the mouse moving around the screen like a demented rabbit. You know, when I'm recording a video, and I think you're probably the same, John, I actually make a point of taking my hand off the mouse so that I can't be juggling it around while I'm talking. When I need to move it, I move it. But other than that, my hand's way away from it. Yeah, I remember uh, back when I was at college at UC Santa Barbara, and I worked in the computer lab there, and there was a gentleman there, his name was Greg, he was one of the managers of the computer lab, and occasionally I'd have to talk to him, and he would sit there and select text, delete it, copy, paste it, I mean, literally the whole time was like, it was like, you know, like when somebody's there, you know, moving their leg up and down because they got that nervous energy, and you're right, you don't want that on your video, so I think you need to pick who you learn from very carefully. It's not just about what they know, but it's also about their style. Certain people, two people can tell you the same message and it makes more sense from another person because they're, they've got a, you've got a better synergy with them. You understand where they're coming from. They, they explain things the way you get them. And so I think it's important what you said is to, to try to find somebody who you really like and really knows what they're talking about, uh, whether it's on a video or an article or a book or whatever. That's a, an interesting divergence, but Being a professional developer is, in my opinion, um, much more than being really competent with FileMaker. Yeah, you've got to be really good to be able to make a living at it, but you've got to have multiple skills to allow you to make the transition from somebody who works in-house or, you know, a hobbyist or whatever, because the competition is extreme. Uh, I looked on FileMaker's website recently and there are now apparently 50,000 professional FileMaker developers in the world. When I started, I think there were five. Wow. Yeah, I think so. That's crazy. I didn't know there was that many. Um, And it's interesting. I'm not sure how many certified people are there, but there's probably a fraction of that. Because as you know, going back to certification, now it's become almost a treadmill because FileMaker is releasing a new version every year. And every year you have to go through this certification process, which requires you learning a lot of stuff that, quite honestly, I'm never, you're never ever going to need to use or know. And if you do, you just look it up. So, and I have a problem with learning stuff that I have no, no, no need to remember. So, but it does, it's every year and uh, you've got to go through this process. And not only is it time consuming, but it's expensive. 
Yeah, and some of it, like you said, is just memorization. You know, technical specifications that we would look up. There's no point in needing to know that the number of people can connect up to a database is 250 or the number of files is 50 or whatever it is. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. I learn every time before I take the test because I do take the certification test. But it, it's kind of pointless information because, like you said, you can look it up. But if you want to be certified, you have to know it. Now, there are parts of the certification test that require a deep working knowledge of FileMaker. And let me give you an example. They'll throw out a ERD or a relationship graph and say, if you had a layout based on this table occurrence and you put a portal on a layout based on this table occurrence and you know things like that, what would, what would show? And they'll go you A, B, and C. And in order to really understand how to answer that question, you have to have a deep knowledge of FileMaker. So in some ways it does test you well and weeds out the people who really don't know FileMaker. But I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, there's other ways. You don't have to be certified to become a, a professional developer because, honestly, it's it's about who can take a test better. And and it's not about how good you can program a FileMaker database. You know, and that's also one of the issues with it because I've known quite a few people who are FileMaker certified developers, but they don't have the skills or the experience to be a good developer. They've passed the certification test and they think it makes them an expert, and it really doesn't. What makes them an expert is spending years and years and years developing solutions, trying everything you can possibly do, dealing with out-of-the-box situations and, cre and creating or delivering solutions that are tricky and only the experience will give you the advantage and be able to solve that problem. Yeah, I think you hit it on the nose. It's about being creative and FileMaker allows you to be creative. So it's not about the person who knows the, the shortest piece of code necessarily. It's a person who can use FileMaker's features creatively, provide a good interface, and also has good business acumen. And you've got to have a, a, a well-rounded set of skills to go and start your own company, especially since most developers are going to be single-man shops for the most part. So you have to do everything. Correct. So let me tell you what I consider the essential skills that you have to have in order to make it as a professional developer. And the first one is obviously expertise in FileMaker. But the second one is networking. You've got to know how to network. You've got to be really good at it and really creative. But pick your venues or outlets to do that networking. You know, you so many networking groups on Meetup you go to and everybody's trying to sell you something else and you're just handing out your card to people who will never use your service. I like to try and drill down to influencers and meet people who not only could use my services, but who are connect, have connections enough to other businesses who can use my services. And that's where I think networking becomes really a useful skill. But again, it's something you have to learn. And probably a lot of people will waste a lot of time going to meetings that they're not going to get any business out of. Does that make sense, John? Absolutely. I think uh, other areas that are good for networking would be the forums and also the developer conference. Both those places, in fact, I, I always tell people, go to the developer conference to talk to people, first and foremost, and secondly, to go to the classes that they have there. It's all about networking when you go there. 
you'll meet clients there. They're definitely people who are not programming FileMaker who are there and want to learn more about what FileMaker can do, not necessarily all the details, but they want to learn what FileMaker can do so they can better hire somebody. And then on the forums, you'll meet people there all the time. It's a great place to get business. Uh, any other suggestions on places to network? Um, no, those are both very good, very good suggestions. But some of my best networking has been at the airport or in a coffee shop. And right. I just strike up casual conversations with people just because I'm fairly gregarious and I like talking to people. So I'll strike up conversations where a lot of people will just sit quietly and mind their own business. And I find it people interesting and I like having deep conversations. And you'd be amazed as to how many of those people you meet are in positions of influence. You know, when you're at the airport, you might be sitting next to somebody who's in jeans and a t-shirt, but he could also be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You don't know. And so one of the things that's absolutely essential, and you'll probably scoff at this, is you have to carry business cards with you 24 hours a day. If you're out anywhere, you have business cards with you. But there's a caveat to that. Most business cards fail miserably. And I'll tell you why. First of all, the contact information, the phone number or the email address is so small, you can't read it without a magnifying glass. And I've seen that so many times. And those cards just go in the bin because a card is supposed to let the person know how to get in touch with you. And the second thing, and I think this is absolutely essential, if you have a business card, it has to have a photograph of you on the business card. Now, do you know why that is, John? So remember who you are. Well, yes, uh, because if you're introduced to a lot of people, they won't remember names, almost certainly, especially if you're at a big event. And having the photograph will trigger the memory. Oh, I remember that guy. But if they recognize your face and they remember you, they will also remember the conversation. And just having a name doesn't convey that. So when you hand somebody a business card, you're basically saying, remember this conversation we had remember me and here's the way to get in touch with me so that to my mind is paramount and more and more people are doing it but i don't think they understand the psychology behind it i like that I never thought about it now let me ask you a little bit i'm not as gregarious uh, as you are but my guess is when you when you start up these conversations in the airport or a coffee shop, you're just talking about maybe you see that they've got a nice hat on and you're complimenting it or, you know, you're asking what they're drinking or you say, hey, it's a nice day out. It's not, you don't have to go full speed into, hey, I'm a FileMaker developer. You just start talking to them, right? I never go into that. I rarely ever start talking about what I do. I'm not interested in, you know, being pushy or like a car salesman or rushing. I'm interested in people. I like talking to people. And if the situation occurs that, you know, they ask me what I do, then of course I tell them. It's not the thrust. It's not the reason of the conversation. The reason for the conversation is just to pass the time and have an interesting conversation rather than just sitting there like a, a dummy or buried your head in a book or listening to a music on a, on headphones. It's just about interacting with people and not many people do that anymore. They're, I think they're afraid to do it. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Annette. Now, that's why I wanted to, I don't do it much myself. I have other ways of 
getting my presence out there than you. And that's why we're, it's good for us to have two people on this podcast because we can have different viewpoints, even though we agree on a lot of stuff, we have different ways of doing things, not just programming FileMaker, but how to get FileMaker business. Right. But I want to take it uh, down the road of, of experience. Um, you, you know, you can learn by yourself, but I think here's a couple more points. I want to get your input on this and what you think about it. it. It's been a long time since we've needed any of these, but some people who are, you know, amateur developers and want to become professional developers, this advice may help them. And so I've got four things here. Um, one is to get experience, get a mentor. Find somebody on the forums and write them a message and say, hey, I really like that or whatever. And you might start up a conversation. Don't force somebody to be in a mentor review, but just kind of fish around. And, and when you find somebody who's interested in talking to you, then they become a, then they can become a mentor and you can often call them up and talk to them and say, Hey, you know, I'm trying to do this. And they'll say, Hey, try that, you know, and, and they can really help you out. Um, other things. Now, second one is get a job as an in-house developer. They don't necessarily hire the people who have, you know, 10 years experience and it might be a way, good way to cut your, uh, cut your teeth. Uh, you can also get a job uh, with one of the bigger firms. I mean, a lot of the FileMaker developers out there are single man shops, but there's also people who are hiring people all the time. You can either become an employee or a contractor. And then the other thing is, is don't quit your job, day job. Get a job on the side and you can work for free if you want to, for friends or family, uh, or if you do find a job out there, uh, you know, charge at least $100 an hour. And if you're not worth $100 an hour, then you don't charge them. If you're learning something while you're programming for them, just, you're still $100 an hour, but, but just don't bill them. But these are three things all go over them. There's mentors, there's uh, in-house developers, there's working for another FileMaker firm, and there's you know, basically uh, working at night you know, after you get off your day job. Don't just quit your day job and, and go out and try to do FileMaker work. Uh, you might want to try doing it moonlight at night. So what do you think about that, Michael? Well, I think you're absolutely right. But uh, going back to what you were saying, second thing on my list is marketing. And this is one of the things that you were talking about, is getting experience, is getting your name out there, is writing blog articles and publishing and being active in the forums and sharing your knowledge with others so that people see that and they go, oh, that's that's a really interesting approach or, you know, that's a fantastic technique. I'm a call him up or write to him. I get lots of emails from people who read my book. I always reply and thank them and say, please don't hesitate to reach out if I can help you. Uh, because I like to help people and I like to share information. Both you and I do that. Yeah, I think that's a very important thing. You don't have to spend money on advertising to market yourself. Do these things that we've done. I've never, I, John, I've never spent a single dime on advertising in 33 years. And I haven't spent very much, but there's a couple of situations early on where I spent, you know, $500 here and $500 there and regretted it. It's, it's just for me, word of mouth is probably the best way, but just getting yourself out there, whether you, you participate on the forums or you make a video or who knows what you do, that's going to get you work right there. So with networking, networking and marketing out of the way, the next most important skill is being good at sales. And this is where a lot of people really fail because they're just uncomfortable with the thing. And you'll hear people, oh, but I'm not a salesperson. Have you heard that one? Right. Uh, well, I haven't heard somebody say it, but I, it sounds familiar. Well, what it means is 
they don't think that they are a salesman. But the truth of the matter is that all of us are salespeople. Every day, every, every time we meet somebody, when we talk and we are selling our point of view. So the only difference between what we do naturally as part of daily life, as opposed to being a salesperson, is that there's money involved. And again, this is an area where some people are just very uncomfortable and they hesitate to uh, ask for what they're worth because they truly don't believe they're worth what they're asking. And if you don't believe you're worth every penny of what you're charging, you are simply not worth that money. Yeah, I agree. You have to be confident about what you're doing. And sometimes that takes experience and you don't get it right away, but you got to practice it. Yeah, everything requires practice. Everything we're talking about, you've got to work at it. You, it just doesn't come instantly or naturally. Now, the thing to remember about sales, and I've been in sales for almost all my life, sales is like a game of tennis. You're playing, your opponent is your client, and you're hitting the balls across the net backwards and forwards. The difference is that me, as the salesperson, I'm not trying to win a point. I'm just trying to keep that ball in play. So I'm just gently lobbing it back to the customer and letting them hit it. And then I'm going to lob it back. So I'm not trying to make that killer shot because you can often miss it. And I just keep the ball in play long enough to have a long conversation. And I'm persevering. I'm listening. An objection, as you know, is a buying sign. And I'm responding to that objection. And then I'm, again, asking them to proceed and move forward. So it is a, a process. And it, it's a fun process. If you regard it as a game, it becomes really fun. And that's what we all want to have in our lives is more fun. Yeah, I think what you're saying, and tell me if I'm wrong, is you need to have patience with a conversation. You don't want to force your services down their throat. You need to talk to the person, get them to know them. They want to, they want to know they can work with you, and they don't want somebody who's just out, out to make money. And I think that's very important is to have a conversation with somebody. Let them know what you're all about, but don't rush them. It's the most important first meeting. They've got to like you. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you gain... You build rapport by exploring what the, what what's important to them. You find out what they like and what they do and what's important to them. And then you have developed, by doing that, you're developing a rapport, especially if you have common ground. If you, oh, I'm interested in this. Oh, what a strange thing. So am I. So there's lots of things and techniques that you can use to build rapport. But the one thing I will stress that it should never be forced. You should never be doing this in a manipulative way. If you provide good advice, and this is something that you should never be afraid to say to the client, look, I understand where you're coming from, but what you're thinking of is a really bad idea. And let me share with you why. And now they may completely disagree with you and decide to do it the way they were thinking. But at least you've given them the benefit of your expert advice and you're not charging them for that advice. You're just having a conversation and you're trying to establish value and trust in that conversation. And that's to me, to my mind, the most important thing. Yeah, I think a, a good example, something that happens to me a lot is people 
come to me and say, I want a web-based application. And then I ask them, why are you serving the phone? No, I'm just, we're, we want it for employees. They think they're going to save money on licensing. And while they may save money on licensing with custom web publishing, it's probably going to cost more than the licenses would cost for FileMaker and be less flexible, cost more to, to develop and everything. And so you've got to sometimes not just say, hey, they want a web, you, you know, website that communicates to FileMaker and you say, well, have you considered FileMaker? You know, it's probably going to cost you less money to do it this way and be more flexible and more capable. And that would probably be my most common example. There are certainly many other examples out there of what people want to do, but that's the one that I get every single time somebody calls me, it seems like. Well, I don't think a lot of people really understand what cloud-based computing means. It's a buzzword. Oh, it's in the cloud. Well, fantastic. So what? You know, when you have a FileMaker solution that's being hosted on an outside server, like a hosting company, it's in the cloud. But is it? Yes, it is. But it isn't like you're giving up control of that application by signing up for a service that requires, it's all web-based, and you have to sign up for the service, and you pay per user fee, and you pay all these additional fees. But your data is now under their control. And I have a fundamental problem with that. My business data is important. It's cost me a lot of money to, to get. And putting it out where I really know control over who might see that or who might access it by hacking or whatever it is, I think it's fundamentally unsound. And I also, the, the other problem, and we've discussed it before, is that once you go with one of these cloud-based services, and probably the most famous that I can think of is Salesforce, your data is in their hands, in their control. You have no control over what the fee, what they decide to charge you on a monthly basis. They keep adding additional fees that you're locked into it. And if you decide that you want to move away from it, you've got to go through the enormous hassle because they make it difficult of getting your data out so that you can use something else. So that's why I recommend to people that they have a FileMaker solution, whether they host it in a, on a hosting company or they have their own server, they are in 100% control of that solution and their data. And they can change, they can download the files and move it to a different server. They've got all of that ability and all that they're doing is just making it simpler to deploy for a larger group. Yep. And this is all about what you're talking about. You have to be a salesperson. You have to be able to explain what FileMaker is, what FileMaker can do, how it's different than other things out there in order to make that client feel comfortable that they're going to get the solution they want, even if you direct them somewhere else to something other than what they wanted in the beginning. Yes, absolutely. Now, one thing I forgot to mention from before about getting noticed, we talked about forums, DevCon, articles, you know, just getting yourself out there. One thing that people don't think about is join a users group. It's really going to get you noticed. You can participate with other developers, learn from them. You might meet somebody who might hire you uh, as a contractor. I mean, who knows what's going to happen there? You might meet a client there. It, it, it's anything's possible. It comes back down to you never know who you're going to meet or when you're going to meet them. And so I'm going to rotate off of this subject back onto something else that 
I know there's a lot of people in the in the developer world who regard the small, the one or two hour projects or oh, it's not worth my time. It's just I can't be bothered. And I will say to everybody who's thinking to be a developer that you must never regard a small project as a nuisance. You must regard it as a stepping stone because so often you are asked to do something very simple. And yeah, it does. It's well below your skill level it isn't really worth doing in a sense but it could be a test and i have one particular project that started off with five hours which was very easy to to do it was a very easy fix but over the next 10 years that client paid me half a million dollars and it was because i took that five hours and jumped on it and really did a good job and built up trust and then they kept asking me for more and more and more. So don't dismiss small projects. They can lead to very big things. I couldn't agree with you more. I've got many stories like that. One of my biggest clients, I start off with solving a problem that no other developer could solve using the get summary function. And he was my client for 10 years and I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And all he hired me for was a couple hundred dollars the first time. Yep. But some developers, some development firms, some of the big ones won't even talk to you unless you have at least a $15,000 budget. And that what, what both of us are saying is very short-sighted because those things can turn into big projects. Absolutely. You just never know. In the same way, you never know who you're talking to. You never know where a project can go. And if you have a somebody approaches you to do something small, just say, yes, I'd love to do that for you. And you'll be surprised because they're used to a lot of people saying, I can't be bothered with it. They really are. Right. And sometimes when I tell people, yeah, I'd be interested and they're so surprised because they're like, well, I've been turned down by so many companies because it's only a $5,000 job. I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. I, those are, that's my bread and butter right there. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to skills, one of the other skills in addition to network marketing sales is you've got to be really comfortable in front of an audience because sometimes you're going to have to present to a board a group of people and if you can't stand up with confidence and present yourself and your ideas and what you can do for them you've just shot yourself in the foot now public speaking is the biggest fear most people have and i love it i'm not completely comfortable whether i'm in front of two people or two thousand but if you're not uh, what you really should do is find a Toastmasters group near you and join up and go to their meetings and go through the initial 10 speech course, which is to become a competent Toastmaster, I think, and get feedback, listen and speak as often as you can. And when you get an opportunity to stand up in front of a crowd, jump to your feet. And the interesting thing about uh, public speaking is that we ourselves have internal different reactions to what the client is seeing. I remember I was taking part in a Toastmasters tall tale contest years back. And I got through two rounds and then the third round was regionals. And I had to give my speech in front of 500 people. And it was the first time I'd ever been up in front of a big audience. And I got up on the stage, my voice was quavering, my legs were, knees were knocking, my legs were shaking, I was hyperventilating, and it was just 
I got through it, but I just felt it was just awful. And I went back to my table and my girlfriend at the time said, how do you feel? And I said, it was, oh, it was awful. And I told her the symptoms. She said, no, none of that. It's all in your mind because you were up there. You were as confident as you could possibly be. But I didn't feel that way. So, you know, it's not always what you feel internally. It's just having the experience and the ability to get up and do it. Yep, I couldn't agree more. I remember the first time I did a presentation, it was at the Dig FM meeting in Santa Clara. It's a users group. And I was so scared the whole time, all the same symptoms you had. But then I got done. Everybody like, you know, came up to me after the meeting. It was like, ah, oh, blah, 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 you know, this and that. And I was like, oh, okay, they must have liked it. And, you know, still to this day, I still get butterflies before I go up in front of a, you know, a big group of people. And, and, and I know that to some degree that turns off when I actually start talking, but also I know that it's, it's what's going inside me. Like you said, it's your internal conversation. You know, you're worried, you want to do really well and you're concerned about it. And some people, you know, don't have that. I, I get that, but I think most people do have that, that fear and you just got to realize that you don't necessarily come across that way when you're up in front of an audience. Because I can tell you that I've got many, many public speaking engagements in front of me and many videos and, and all kinds of things where I'm talking to people and or talking to a camera. And it's never, it's, I've never, it, as far as I know, come off badly, but I still feel those butterflies. Uh, and I do too. Absolutely. I mean, I get butterflies every time I'm about to get up in front of a group and but it's just it's just that sort of adrenaline surge and if you think of it that way you know when you're in a fight or flight syndrome we get a jolt of adrenaline and that creates this surge that could be called butterflies in your stomach but it it's just just par for the course and the moment you move into action that disappears it may come back afterwards if you you know you can certainly get it at the end when you think you didn't do very well have them again but it's just a temporary thing and it's more illusory than reality yep and let i feel the the need to tell people how i got started in the industry not because they can follow my path exactly but they can hear my story and understand that every path is different so the way I started off in the FileMaker market was I decided I wanted to work at Claris. So I kept interviewing and bugging them until they hired me in technical support. And I worked there for five years and I worked for ISO Productions. We produced books and CDs and things like that. And then I went out on my own and started doing things. But all along the way, I was also developing a website called Database Pros and I was giving away free stuff. and by giving away free stuff, I was able, unknowingly, able to market myself to where people still come up to me and say, hey, you know what? I grew up on databasepros.com. That's where I learned how to become a developer. And so if you're going to go out and design yourself a website, which you're going to need if you want to be an FBA member, or even if you don't want to be an FBA member, that client's going to want to have your website. It's, it's, it's a calling card. You have to have it. You might as well not only just put stuff about what you do in the FileMaker market, your your experience, your qualifications and things like that, examples or whatever you put up there, but put some stuff about FileMaker, how to use it, 
put some stuff, uh, some example files, an article, a blog or something like that. And I can tell you it's paid off for me tremendously. I never meant to become a developer. It just kind of came that way for me. I just, I was just doing my thing. I liked FileMaker. So if you want to like FileMaker, well then like it, go ahead and share with people, go ahead and do some stuff and it'll, it'll get you a lot of advantages that you, 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 you just don't know where they're going to come from. People are going to see your stuff and, and, and it'll keep your skills up. There's all kinds of benefits from it. I can't, uh, you know, I can't tell you enough how much, how important that is to share with the community, how many things, how many benefits come your way from that. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, it's a funny thing, but you, I talk to a lot of people who are developers and they often are talking about my books and, you know, how do you write these? How do you come up with this stuff? And a lot of them, you know, have come up with ideas and techniques on their own back, which are quite clever, but they don't bother to write them up because they think, oh, every, so everybody must know that. And you can't assume that, you know, you may, you may come up with something that, yeah, lots of people know that, but if you're writing about it, you become it you own it and you may well come up with something that nobody's ever a twist that nobody's ever thought of before so i always tell people don't be hesitant about writing what's the worst that can happen nobody's going to read it and that's the absolute worst you know and if somebody you know you write something and somebody calls you and or emails you and says well you're wrong and you go really that's interesting i didn't know that thank you and explore it and figure out what it is and get better and and then add an addendum to that article if you know if necessary yeah i think you gotta i think that's very important you you have to not worry about being wrong because you're gonna be wrong no matter how good you are the only person i know who's never wrong is whim to court that's about it and well everything that comes out of his mouth is is pure uh pure uh file maker you know, it may be Ray Colligan too. So we'll throw those two guys into the super genius category. Oh yeah. They're, they're beyond, both of them are beyond genius. Um, I don't know either of them. I've emailed them and I whim to court and I have a mutual client. His expertise is so far beyond FileMaker as is Ray Colligan's. They, they are certifiable geniuses. Yep, and I know that uh, Wim uh, scores every single year the highest on the certification test. So he's an amazing guy. So if he says something, listen to it. Yep, absolutely. So the final thing about skills, and we talked briefly about it earlier, is about money. And first of all, as we said, you've got to know what you're worth and you've got to accept nothing less. You cannot and must not make assumptions as to whether the client can afford you. You must assume they can. If they can't, it'll come out, but you must assume they can. And don't ever be intimidated by wealth or power. I've got friends who are multimillionaires. I've even known a couple of billionaires. And they're just like you and me. They've just got more money. So they're no better than, than us. And if you're not, if, when you're not intimidated by them, they're so used to people being intimidated by them that it will come often as a breath of fresh air and you'll get that connection that you might think you're never going to get. So don't be intimidated by it. Yep. It's, it's hard to not to, to be intimidated, but just take a deep breath 
and think, hey, I'm just talking to my my friend or a client I already know, it's no big deal. Now, the good thing is all the skills that we've been talking about, if you as a developer can master all of these skills, you can make two to five times more money than you can working for somebody else. But the important thing for me is not that I make more money working for somebody else than working for somebody else. It's I have my freedom. I choose when I work. I choose where I work from. I choose which projects I want to take on. I'm not beholden to anybody. And so that gives me enormous flexibility and freedom, which is really what I want more than anything. I, I, I don't know what to say to that because it's, it's 100% true. That's the best thing about being independent. I can decide that I want to take the afternoon off and do something. I can decide not to work with the client, like you said. I can do really whatever I want. The hard part, I think, though, about being independent, and I work out of my house, which I love, is not going over to the TV and watching TV or doing something else uh, at your house when you really should be working. It's, it's being disciplined. But at the same time, if you're disciplined, you can also be take that opportunity to take a little bit of time off. You know, you want to leave early for a long weekend. You don't have to ask your boss. It's, you've got that freedom to do whatever you want. And that's got to be the best thing. I, and plus, I don't have to commute. I love it. <laughs> so I don't know about you. You? No, I'm absolutely the same. I, uh, I like working out of my uh, home office. I like being able to get up in the morning at whatever time I get up. And I'm usually in front of the computer around five in the morning. And then I work till three or five in the afternoon. But I'll take breaks when I feel the need to. I'll take a nap when I feel the need to. I'll go and get some lunch and read a book or do anything, or I'll sit and play a game, a couple of games of chess in front of the computer while I'm working just to free my mind up to think about something and let my subconscious work on it. Because we don't, our brains need variety. And this is one of the great advantages of having that flexibility to, to work at your pace and at your schedule. And as you say, you know, when you work for yourself, you work for a complete and utter maniac. But you can also get that complete utter maniac to give you a day off when you need it. Well, plus you don't have to have any meetings. All my meetings go on in my head. It's great. I love it. I can't stand meetings. The best thing, uh, you know, the other thing I would say is that being a, a, a one-man shop also has its benefits. I know some of the people I grew up in the industry with who have all the big firms now, they work so many more hours than I do. They, they could possibly make more money. I don't know how much money they make, but they have to check over people's works. They have their, their, you know, their employees, you know, turnover. Uh, they have to deal with all the problems on a big wider scale because they're doing much more business. I, I like the, the simplicity and of working by myself. It doesn't, I don't feel like I'm alone. I, I kind of like the alone time, but I can do what I want to do. I can do it when I want to do it. I don't have to choke over anybody else's work. So I, I would suggest that it may be a great idea for you to become a manager and build a giant company. But I think a lot of people just want a single man shop so they can do what they want to do. 
Now, can I take it in a different direction here? I want to talk a little bit about a different kind of developer, which we've been so far, I think, have been talking mostly about the kind of person who's a, a, a consultant or developer for hire. They build whatever the client wants. But there's also another kind of developer, which is a vertical market solution or SDK developer. They build solutions for a certain market. Maybe they know that market. Maybe they used to be a plumber and they're going to build a plumbing solution or they used to work in this business or who knows what. And they build something that solves that problem. And then they sell that one solution over and over and over again. And I want to make sure that as a developer, you don't have to be a developer for hire. You can be a vertical market or you can do both really. I mean, a lot of people are doing vertical market solutions and being a developer for hire. But that's a specialized industry. And if you're not familiar with the SDK, it allows you to turn FileMaker into an app that you can sell on the Apple's website, you know, that work on an iPad or an iPhone. Yes, you can, John, but you can also develop a vertical solution and just distribute it and get people to buy the FileMaker licenses. I mean, you you still have the runtime engine, which allows you to bind a, a file and create a single user solution without requiring the client or the user to buy FileMaker licenses. But that's, you know, been on the schedule to be deprecated and discontinued for a long time. And I don't think it's going to be around for very much longer, but it's still, you can still develop vertical market solutions without going and creating it as a, using the SDK. So it's just another method. And remember that as a developer, we get asked to build solutions. And the reason we get asked to build solutions is because the client has looked and tried to find something that's readily available and they can't find anything that meets their needs. So that's when they come to people like you and I and say, can you build me this? That's how we get business. And once you've developed a solution for one customer within that industry, you've already got the makings of a vertical market solution for the entire industry. And you don't need to sell a lot of copies to make it very worthwhile. Absolutely. And I just want to clarify one point. There's two things out there for making FileMaker a standalone solution. There's the runtime, which has been deprecated for at least five years, three or four versions back. And as soon as there's a file format change in FileMaker going like they did from .fp7 to .fmp12, as soon as they decide they need a file format change, probably runtime will be taken out. Until then, and it's probably, I've looked at the timeline, as far as versions and time frame, we're, we're looking at runtime going away, but the SDK is a whole different beast. It allows you to make solutions for the App Store, the Apple App Store, and turn your FileMaker solution into a standalone solution for that. And that you can still is still viable. All you have to do is get the FileMaker developer subscription, FDS, if you go into the FileMaker.com website. It's $99 per year. You get these things. You get FileMaker 18 developer subscription license. It's, uh, it's basically for testing purposes, copies of FileMaker. You get pre-release software. It's usually a month or so before or two months before it actually comes out, but it gives you that chance to be prepared for clients because clients are going to call you, right? You don't have to be an FBA member to get pre-release software. So it's kind of cool to be prepared when those clients start saying, hey, FileMaker you know, 18 or whatever it ends up being in the future. What, what do you know about it? And you're, you know about it because you've been using it for a month. 
Uh, it also gets you the FileMaker training series, which is great for trying to pass the, uh, the certification test. And uh, you also get the iOS app software development kit, which is what SDK stands for. And then you also get a really cool tool called the FileMaker data migration tool, which will take your data from one version of your database to another, pull it all in without writing any scripts. It's just simply a couple, a one line of code uh, that you write inside of a, a shell program. And it's very easy to write. It sounds scary, but you do it and it just takes all your information from you know, the, the current version to the new version and you don't have to do anything. It just puts all the data in there for you, makes it very easy to do. So even if you don't become an FBA member, I'm an FBA member, Michael Richard doesn't see the value in it and I, I totally makes sense to me. You might want to consider a FDS subscription because that'll get you some stuff that will you'll give you that, you know, that extra edge when you're working with uh, clients because you'll be able to do things with the data migration tool or make an SDK or whatever you want, get the pre-release software. All that stuff will really help you get ahead of the game and you don't have all those rules and regulations you have with becoming a, an FBA member. You know, you don't have to have been in business for a year. You can get that right now, even if you're really not even a developer. You can be somebody who's interested in FileMaker and pay the $99 and get it. Yeah, it's a very good point. Well, John, I think we've probably talked this subject to death. We've been talking for about an hour. So by the time we clean it up and uh, edit it, it'll be close to an hour long podcast. But I think it's been an interesting one. And I hope that the listeners out there get something from it. And, you know, I obviously we both of us encourage you to take the leap. It's uh, been an incredibly rewarding journey for me in so many ways. And I'm still on the journey. And have no intention of stopping anytime soon. Yeah, I can't recommend being a FileMaker developer enough. And so I agree with you. I think we're both in agreement. This is the best choice we've ever made in our career. Um, I don't miss working for somebody else at all. And so I hope that you guys take some of these uh, ideas we gave you and help you to become your own boss. And so for uh, for Michael Richard and John Mark Osborne, we're going to sign out and we'll see you in the next podcast. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.